that you hear? Does it help to listen if you close your eyes? Or hold your breath? Is it easier to listen when there's noise there, words to grab onto? Or is it easier to listen in the silence? To lean in to the silence? To begin to position yourself in the silence so that you can listen? Are you listening? Attentive? Attending? What do you hear in the silence? The air conditioning? A baby's cry who was just baptized a couple of hours ago? Tires screeching on the roadway and sirens and wondering what happened? Your neighbors playing music too loud? This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. The ironic thing is, he wasn't speaking to them. It wasn't words that they were to be attentive to and grab onto and process cognitively, but a position of attentiveness, of meeting the soul. Jesus was talking to Moses and Elijah. Did he mean they were to eavesdrop? Or that listening meant something more than catching words and thinking about them. Something more elemental. When Jesus says, listen to them, he uses a Greek word. The very next verse is, says, listening, they fell on their feet. In the translation, it's a little different in your bulletin in the gospel reading. It says, when they heard that, they fell on their feet. But it's interesting, this connection, listen and listening, they fell on their feet, on their face. After six days, why six days? Of course, there's a clear connection to the reading in Exodus. After six days on the mountain, then God spoke to them, and there was fire, and there was cloud, and there was a mountain. Or is it six days a reference to the days of creation, when God spoke the world into being? He was busy for six days creating. And what did he create on the seventh day? Some people might say nothing on the seventh day. But others would say, no, he created rest as a gift for us. And while in the six days he created and named and blessed and declared it good, on the Sabbath, he declared it holy. It's sacred. It's holy. So Jesus, after six days, went up on the mountain. The mountain is a very powerful symbolism within all literature and religions. We have Moses, who was speaking with Jesus, on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, as we read in Exodus. Elijah was on the mountain when God passed by, not in the earthquake and the fire, but in the still, small voice. 
Matthew begins with Jesus on the mountain in Matthew 4, when the evil one takes him on the mountain and says, if you are the Son of God, here's your chance to prove it. If you are. And we have come in our reading today where God himself affirms and reminds the disciples he is indeed the Son of God. He went up on the mountain to teach, like the Sermon on the Mount. He went up on the mountainside to pray a number of times. And at the end of the story in Matthew 28, then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Jesus is facing his great moment. He's telling his disciples that he's going to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem he will be rejected and condemned and killed. And that on the third day he will rise again. I'm sure they had no idea what he meant by that last phrase. Dead people don't rise. He's giving away his life. Is this what God wanted? Intended? He had to be sure, so he gets away to pray. And he takes with him, of course, Peter, James, and John. And the next time we hear about Peter, James, and John with him, he's in the garden, again, where the, his moment is immediate and imminent. And so he gets away to pray. And in his praying, he is transformed. He glows with God's majesty and glory and grace. We're at the end of the Epiphany season, which ends our Christmas cycle, beginning in Advent and Christmas and Epiphany. And remember at Epiphany, the wise men see the star in the skies and come to worship him. And now here at the end of the Epiphany season, this theme of light exemplifies itself in the very person of Jesus, on his face and in his clothing, glowing. And so we need to remember in Epiphany, we go out with the light. We're called to shine with the light. We're reminded you are the light of Christ. And we're invited into this transfiguration so that we can remember who Jesus is and who we are. As C.S. Lewis reminds us, you have never met a mere human being. We are made in the image of God and of his glory. But in the midst of all this, Peter needs to inject his own voice. In response to this overwhelming vision of glory, Peter says, uh, let me do something. Could I, could I contribute to this? Could I uh, have a small part? Could I show you that I can do some things too? Let me build some tents. Peter, like us, often does not know what to do with silence and stillness and mean, merely placing ourselves in the presence of the glorious God. William Temple says, but there is a time for stillness. There is a time for mere contemplation, for wonder, for adoration, for awed reverence in the presence of the supreme glory. As the psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. And I like to think it's here in the church that we are schooled in that positioning of ourselves in front of holiness and glory and beauty and majesty. We do it in the midst of the community, 
each one of us bearing the image of God, gathered around the table with the symbolism of bread and wine, with the stained glass windows, the artistic expression, and we come and we don't have to say anything. We come and we position ourselves to receive his glory. But conversely, Peter also, not only did he want to do something on the mountaintop, it seems that he wanted to stay on the mountaintop. Let's build a tent. Let's prolong the experience. Let's savor the exquisite expression of God's glory. Let's stay here. And it's hard then, in the beauty of this worship experience, to remind it we, in a few moments, will go out those doors into a world that needs God's message of hope and faith and reconciliation and forgiveness and bridge building. You know, at the end, when we say the dismissal, it is not, dismissal does not mean the service is over. It means it is time to get on with the mission. Dismission, dismissal, let's get on with it. Our experience of God fills us, connects with our soul, and leads us out into the world that needs his love. Have we learned how to take that position, that posture, on a regular basis to come into his presence? We can do it anywhere, of course. There's something special about doing it here with the community. On April the 3rd, 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. spoke about how he had been to the mountaintop and looked over and what it meant to him. He said, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. And don't, I don't mind. Like anybody, I'd like to live a long life. Long, longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And as you probably know, the next day he was shot dead in Memphis, Tennessee. At his request, King's last sermon at his church was played at his funeral. And in that sermon, King made, had made a request that at his funeral no mention would be made of his honors and awards, but that it be said that he tried to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and love and serve humanity. Have you been to the mountaintop, stood in the presence of God, stood in the presence of the mystery and the majesty and opened yourself, opened your soul to God's beauty and grace and holiness and guidance and resourcefulness. William Temple, the Archbishop of Canterbury, said, to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, and to devote the will to the purpose of God. So we come to worship, to open ourselves, to receive from God, to get a vision of his glory. And did you notice that when Jesus went down the mountain with the disciples, he said, don't, pe don't tell people 
about the vision until the Son of Man rises from the dead. It's almost like words cannot do it justice. We cannot just tell people about our experience. We have to live it out. We have to be transformed by his grace to receive his forgiveness, his reconciliation, and the power of the Holy Spirit to live for him. So may God give us grace to listen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.